0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, God Wins. I want to ask you at this time to grab a Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 20 today. Revelation chapter 20, and I love the title of this message. It's called God Wins. God Wins. So Revelation 20. Verses seven through 15. As you're turning to Revelation 20, I wanna thank Matt Messiano, our missions and outreach director, for sharing this morning. I wanna encourage you to go see my wife and the missions team after the service uh, to help support GVCM and all these beautiful orphans down in Haiti that our church has come around to support. And then also, big reminder, this Saturday is baptism. And so if you haven't been baptized since you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to encourage you to follow his command. It's not a suggestion. So all you have to do is fill out your Get Connected card, and then on the back, write baptism, and then drop it in one of the wooden boxes on the way out, and we'll be ready for you this Saturday, 11 a.m., right on the uh, courtyard through those doors. All right, if you found Revelation 20, just say amen. Amen. And let's get into God's word, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for a, just an awesome morning. Thank you for what you've been doing, Lord, in all these services. And thank you now, in the second half of this service, we have the privilege and the honor of opening your word. And Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so once again, we wanna say thank you for not leaving us in the dark, but giving us the sure promises of your word that will guide us through this life and on into eternity with you. And so, Lord, thank you for all who have joined now in this third service. Thank you, God, for their enthusiasm for you. Lord, I pray that everything that is said and done will be all for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said. All right, well, what? Ever since Lucifer led an angelic rebellion against the Lord sometime in eternity past, you remember he led a third of the angels to rebel against God and he was kicked out of the third heaven, ever since that happened, evil has been a big problem within the spiritual realm. And ever since Lucifer, once again, he's a troublemaker, Ever since he went to Eve, and he tricked Eve into eating that forbidden fruit, and you remember she gave some to her husband, and he wasn't deceived, he deliberately disobeyed God. Ever since that first couple uh, sinned, and Lucifer was complicit in their sin, evil has been a problem in the physical realm. Okay, and so evil has been a problem in the spiritual realm, and the physical realm, evil has been a problem among angels and among humans for a very long time. Holy angels are reminded of this problem of evil every time they do battle against fallen angels. How how many of you guys understand that there's spiritual warfare that takes place in the heavenlies? I mean, if we were given the ability, like Elisha's servant, to be able to see What's really happening out there, I think many of us would be freaked out, because here's what happens. Holy angels are fighting against fallen angels, otherwise known as demons, that are trying to hinder and halt the work of God. And so holy angels are reminded uh, often about the problem of evil, and we as humans are also reminded about this big problem of evil on our planet. Of course, every single time we read the news or every time a heinous crime is committed. And so, how pervasive is this problem of evil? John wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit, 1 John 5, 19, that how much of the world? You see that? This is God's word here. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That sounds pretty pervasive. But how many of you believe that in the end, God is gonna win the battle between good and evil? You really believe that? And so on the authority, not of what some pastor says, but on the authority of the sure promises of God, we know that in the end, guess what? God wins. What is prophecy? Prophecy is simply history written in advance. And so what are we doing today as we go through verses seven through 15? We're reading history in advance because God who is omniscient, omnipresent, uh, uh, omnipotent, eternal and sovereign who exists outside of the timeline, he has seen it and he wins in the end. The Lord will conquer evil in the physical realm and he will conquer evil in the spiritual realm. The Lord is gonna conquer evil among angels, and he's gonna conquer evil also among humans, and it's all gonna be for his glory. Now, when is he gonna do that? He's gonna do it at the end of the millennium. So last week, uh, we read, we studied that future utopian age called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation period, here's what we read last week, he's gonna send a mighty angel, many scholars believe it's Michael the archangel, and this mighty angel is gonna come with a great chain, and he's gonna say, oh Lucifer, come here, and he's gonna wrap him up, and he is going to incarcerate Lucifer, the troublemaker, in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Then after that, what is Christ gonna do? He's back, literally, he comes back to the earth, and so he reverses the curse. And by the way, right now, we are under a curse. We live in a fallen world amongst fallen human beings. But when Jesus comes back, he's gonna reverse the curse, and he's gonna return the earth back to its original Garden of Eden beauty. Not only that, we know from the scriptures Uh, 100% that he's going to return Israel to a place of prominence in the world, and he's going to fulfill all those Old Testament promises that he made to national Israel. He's going to fulfill those promises in the kingdom age. Not only that, he's going to end all warfare, and he's going to establish a global kingdom of peace and righteousness, and Jesus, the son of David, is going to reign with his resurrected saints. Now, can you imagine Jesus actually here on the earth personally? Can you imagine him reigning with his resurrected saints? By the way, if you have trusted Christ as your savior, you'll be part of the resurrected saints that rule and reign with Jesus for a 1,000 years. Jesus said some over five cities, some over 10, based upon your faithfulness to Christ in this life. Can you imagine people living for a thousand years in complete peace and harmony? Can you imagine, as the Bible says, the nations um, streaming, making pilgrimages to Jerusalem to see the king in Jerusalem reigning on the throne of, of of David? And not only that, being taught by him. Can you imagine the peace that's not just gonna permeate the human realm, but the peace that's coming in the future kingdom age that's going to also permeate the animal kingdom. How many of you guys ever watched the lions chasing the gazelles on National Geographic? I feel so bad for those little gazelles. Man, I think, I think 99 out of 100 don't make it, right? But in that age, that kingdom age, and by the way, newsflash, we're not talking about some fairy tale here. We're talking about what God's word promises. And so if all the promises of Christ's first coming were literally fulfilled, guess what? All the promises of a second coming and his future kingdom will be literally fulfilled. What does that mean? That means the lions won't be chasing the gazelles, the lions will actually lie down next to the gazelles. That means those great white sharks, right, instead of coming up and and eating those seals, those unsuspected seals, the great white and the seals are gonna play together. How many of you guys hate snakes? Let me see your hands. Okay, as we said last week from Isaiah 11, not only will we not run from snakes, but the kids in the kingdom age will have pet cobras in their homes. And so check out the promise of God, Isaiah 11:9. nine. Everybody say nothing. Nothing will hurt. Isn't there a lot of hurt in this world? Isn't there a lot of pain? Do you see what we're doing today? See what the Bible's doing today? It's giving us hope. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Are you looking forward to that day? It's gonna be an awesome time. And so what a difference between right now our current fallen world that's dominated by the world the flesh and the devil and that future world that's gonna be dominated by the Lord Jesus Christ and his peace and his righteousness. And so the kingdom age is gonna last for 1,000 literal years, and then the Lord's gonna do something shocking. He's gonna let Lucifer out of prison. And Lucifer... Satan is gonna commit one last act of treachery. Here's what you need to know about your enemy in the spirit realm. He's a genius, but he's a twisted, evil, demented genius. And he still thinks he can win. You see, he doesn't believe God's word. He told Eve, hath God said? And so the enemy always questions God's word. And so he still thinks he can win. Some people say, well, why in the world would the Lord ever let him out of prison? Well, God's thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above our ways. We don't have all the answers in this life, but let me take a stab at it. I think one of the reasons that God allows Satan at the end of the millennial kingdom to come out of the pit is because the Lord at that time wants to know who's really with him and who's not. And so today we pick it up in verse seven. Check it out. And when the, how many years? Okay, that's the sixth time in seven verses that John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, has written the phrase, the thousand years. Okay, and so we take this statement from Dr. David L. Cooper, when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest you get nonsense. Okay, so a thousand years in the plain sense, means how many years? A thousand years. So the amillennial position, which over the half of the church um, accepts, is nonsense. Okay, the millennial kingdom is not Christ reigning right now from heaven. The millennial kingdom is in the future after he comes back for a literal thousand years. And when that thousand years, verse seven, is ended, Satan will be released from his prison and he'll come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. I'm gonna come back and explain that in a minute. To gather them for battle, and their number is like the sand of the sea. And so Satan is released, and what happens after he is released is that he begins this global search for peoples whose hearts are really not with the Lord. And by the time his search is over, here's what happens. He deceives and he recruits an army that is so large, John equates it to the, the, the granules of sand on the seashore. So if you're taking notes, at the end of the millennium, Satan will gather an army of quote unquote unjust human beings. If you don't get anything else, could you get, just get this right here? There's two types of people in the world, saved and unsaved, forgiven and unforgiven. Those who accept Christ as Savior and Lord, those who reject Christ. Those who are just and those who are unjust. And so for the rest of the sermon, when I use the term just and unjust, I'm not saying, oh, that guy's just, he's a really good guy, and he's so good, man, someday he'll go to heaven because he's so good. Eh. No, what is, what is the just man or woman? The just man or woman man or woman, realizes that there's never anything they can do to earn heaven. They're sinners in need of a savior, and so they turn to Jesus Christ, and by his blood, his death, his resurrection, they receive the imputed righteousness of Christ, and before God's eyes, they are just. That's what it means. And unjust people are those who reject the forgiveness that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Satan gathers this huge army. Somebody says, how in the world can he gather such a large army? I mean, I thought this was like um, paradise. It's the millennial kingdom. Jesus Christ is here in the flesh. Where do all these sinners come from? And if you remember from last week, we talked about this. Let me just briefly remind you that there is a seven year period coming in the future that's called in the Old Testament the day of the Lord and the New Testament is called, the, um, the, at least the last half is called the great tribulation. We refer to it as the tribulation period. And so after, remember this, by way of review, that covenant, that peace treaty is signed between the Antichrist and Israel and her neighbors, that seven-year period is kicked off the last seven years of history as we know it. It's a time of God's wrath coming down on the earth. There are sealed judgments, trumpet judgments, and bowl judgments coming down, cataclysmic events coming down upon this earth. But here's the good news, millions of people will get saved during the tribulation period by the witness of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And so somebody gets saved during the tribulation period, guess what, if they can somehow dodge all those judgments and if they somehow survive those horrible seven years, they're gonna enter into the millennial kingdom, chapter 20, in their natural bodies like the bodies that you're living in right now. Now, when Jesus returns, he's gonna reverse the curse. What does that mean? That means that people are gonna live for a very long time. Can you guys imagine living for seven or 800 years? That's what's gonna happen during the millennial reign. And guess what? They're gonna marry and they're gonna have kids. Now, now don't confuse, we're not talking about you and me because we already have our resurrected bodies and Jesus said of us that there is no marriage because we're, we're gonna live like the angels. We're talking about human beings who walk into the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies. They're gonna live very long lives and they're gonna have a lot of kids. By the way, can you imagine being married for 700 years? Some of you should not answer that question. <laughs> hey moms, how many kids can you have in three, 400 years? Do you see the population explosion? I mean, during the tribulation period, billions with a B die. So do you see the population explosion that's gonna happen in chapter 20 in the millennial reign of Christ? Families are gonna be ginormous you think your family reunion is pretty large now? When you guys get together in your house, family reunions—they're they're, going to have to rent stadiums. You know, they're going to call Hard Rock Stadium or, or um, a data field down the street here. And hey, I need to—I need to reserve the stadium for our family reunion on Saturday. Well, how many people are coming? Uh, my family's about three thousand people. That's how it's going to be. And so, a totally different world a totally different age, fulfilling all the promises that God made in the Old Testament. And so the families are huge, all of this is great except for one thing. The kids that are born during the millennial kingdom, they're born with a sin nature like you and I. And that means that they grow up choosing to sin. Now, how many of you understand, please raise your hand, that all sinners need a savior? I hope everybody raises their hand because this is Christianity 101, okay? If you don't think that you as a sinner need a savior, then the the last three verses are for you. Don't read ahead, we'll get there, okay? And so all sinners need a savior. That's why Jesus came, to die for sinners. Now, hey, in the the millennial kingdom, no problem, because Christ is here in the flesh over in Jerusalem reigning. And so all they gotta do is say, yes, I want Jesus, yes, I trust him. But here's what what blows my mind about the millennial kingdom. Even though Christ has reversed the curse and has brought the, the world back to its original garden of Eden beauty, Even though Satan will be bound up for a 1,000 years, even though Christ will be here in the flesh, not everyone will choose to accept Christ. Hey, did you know Jeremiah 17, 9 is true? Listen to this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so guess what? When Satan is released at the end of the millennial period and he goes on his global search looking for people whose hearts are not with the Lord, he's got plenty of people to choose from. And he chooses this ginormous army that John calls Gog and Magog. Now here's what you gotta understand. Um, If you missed last week, there are two primary ways of interpreting the scriptures. Okay? There is the literal interpretation where we take the Bible at face value. And then there's a wrong way to interpret the Bible. It's called the allegorical method of interpretation, where somebody imposes their own idea that's foreign to the text into the Word of God, thus changing the Word of God. It's not right. And so. I believe in the literal interpretation of the word of God, that you take this Bible at face value. But guess what? People like me that believe in the literal, historical, um, grammatical, contextual, correct way to interpret the Bible, we understand there's figures of speech in the Bible. There's metaphors in the Bible. There's symbolic language in the Bible. But behind every figure of speech and behind every symbol, if you're with me, say amen here, is a literal truth or entity. And so right now, we just read the term Gog and Magog. That is a symbolic term for a leader and a group of people, but behind that symbolic term is a literal people, an ancient pagan people that Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, said that these ancient pagans migrated they didn't know the Lord. They migrated up and they lived around the Black Sea and around the Caspian Sea. Their literal ancient Josephus calls them, said they, they moved to the land of the, uh, the, um, the Scythians. Let me make sure I'm pronouncing that right. And so Josephus said, yes, the, the land of the Scythians. Okay, so that's the literal group of people. Now When you fast forward in the Bible, you get to Ezekiel 38 and 39. And there's this amazing, mind-blowing prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled that will happen either right before the tribulation or during the tribulation. We're not sure when this happens. What's gonna happen? Gog, does everybody see me doing this? Symbolic title, that's the leader. And Magog, that's the people, are gonna come down from that area north around the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and they are going to attack Israel, Ezekiel says, in the latter days. And when that happens, and they come down against Israel, Ezekiel 38 and 39 says the Lord steps in supernaturally and he defeats Gog and he defeats Magog. Well, now we're in Revelation 20, and so we're a 1,000 plus years later, and we see this symbolic terms, Gog and Magog once again. And now, in your Bible, it refers to this army of rebels from all over the world that Satan, Lucifer, gathers to attack the Lord and try to topple Jesus from his throne. They're gonna attempt a coup d'etat against the Lord. Now how do you think that's gonna go? Let's find out, look at verse nine. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and they surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, what's the beloved city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Ladies and gentlemen, it never goes well for people who rebel against the Lord. Hey, here's an idea. Why don't you just follow Jesus? Instead of just saying a little prayer and then living however you wanna live, maybe going to church once or twice a month, here's an idea. Why don't you follow Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Instead of looking for somebody to change the world, Why don't you realize somebody's already changed the world? His name is Jesus, just get behind him. Let him lead. Find out what he's called you to do and walk in that will. Find out specifically what he's called you to do, find out what the gifts that he has given you are and operate in those gifts and walk in that calling and find out what the Lord does. But if you choose to rebel against the Lord, let me tell you, it never goes well in this age or the age to come. And now look at verse 10. It says in verse 10 that the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the what? Okay, this is not the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit was a prison. This is not prison, this is damnation here. And so the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they, who's they? The devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet will be tormented day and night forever and ever. All right, so what's the lake of fire? I wanna, uh, for those of you guys who don't know about it, um, last week I recommended the Ryrie Study Bible Awesome study Bible. Now let me um, um, encourage you to 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 go to this website called Got Questions. Whenever you have a question about the Bible, it's an awesome, awesome website. And they define the Lake of Fire like this: It's the final destination of those who reject Christ. It's a state of complete separation from God. It's a place of perpetual suffering and misery. Now, if you're with me, say amen here, okay? The lake of fire does not cause annihilation. It is a place of perpetual and ongoing suffering and misery. You say, how do you know for sure? Um, There's tons of places in the Bible, but we just read the proof. Before the millennium begins, the Antichrist and the false prophet, two historical figures in the future, will be thrown into the lake of fire. A thousand years later, when the devil is thrown into the lake of fire, guess what? The Antichrist and the false prophet are still there, and they're still alive. And the devil and the Antichrist and the false prophet, look at the end of verse 10 so everybody's crystal clear, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That does not sound like annihilation. And so Lucifer, the one who's caused so many problems in billions of lives. Lucifer, the one who has caused so much evil among the angels and among humans, in the spiritual realm and also in the physical realm. Finally, he meets his doom and we say, Good riddance. Now, before we move on, I gotta remind you that there's two general resurrections in the future. Okay, there's lots of verses for this. I'm just gonna give you one. It's Daniel 12, two. In Daniel chapter 12, verse two, Daniel prophesies, and he says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, everybody look at me, some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. That's Daniel 12, two, okay? Some to everlasting life. How long is everlasting? Everlasting. Forever and ever. And some to, same word in the Hebrew, everlasting shame and contempt. How long is everlasting? everlasting? Forever. You see, the people in the cults who teach annihilation And by the way, some evangelicals, and I use that term very loosely, believe in annihilation. They're inconsistent. Listen, some will be raised to everlasting life. Others will be raised to everlasting shame and contempt. It's the same Hebrew word. Everlasting here means everlasting there. It's not everlasting and annihilation. Does that make sense to you guys? And so there will be two general resurrections the resurrection of the just that happens before the millennium, and the resurrection of the unjust that happens after the millennium. Now let me go a little deeper here, okay? And I don't wanna lose anybody, so stay with me, because here's what's gonna happen. If, you're, if you tune me out right now, three months from now, you're gonna come up to me with a question, and I'm gonna say, I answered it on November 5th in the third service. Okay, so check this out. There's two general resurrections, but there's different stages in the first resurrection. How many of you believe that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus, who was dead, got up and walked victoriously out of a grave? I mean, do you really believe that? Okay, that's Orthodox Christianity. The same body that was crucified and died is the body that got up and walked out in a resurrected, glorified state. And by the way, he still has the, the piercings to this day. Okay, so Jesus was the firstfruits. Now, in the future, here's what's gonna happen. The resurrection of the just is gonna happen in two stages. First, the New Testament saints, and then after the tribulation, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. In other words, the church... The New Testament saints, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says this. The Lord is gonna descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in who? The dead in Christ are gonna rise first. There it is right there in in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. The dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so what does that mean? What that means, if you have Joe Christian in AD 900 and he loves Jesus and he has a heart attack and he falls over, his body is buried, but where does his soul go? This is where everybody says heaven. His body is buried, but where does his soul go? Heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So that guy, even though he died in 900 A.D., is with Jesus as a soul. But one day in the future, the Lord's gonna descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead guy, the dead in Christ, are gonna rise first. What does that mean? His soul is gonna reunite with his remains. All God needs is one little DNA particle. And he... And the rest of the church that has died the last 2,000 years, they're gonna rise first. Then Paul goes on to say, and we who are alive and remain. Paul thought the rapture would happen in his lifetime. He lived every day with the constant expectancy that the Lord could come and snatch me today. Do you live with that expectancy? We should and we who are alive and remain will be caught up, rapturo in the Latin Vulgate, that's where we get our word rapture, will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. There is a generation that will not die, and so after the dead in Christ rise first, by the way, everybody just just blink your eyes, okay? First Corinthians 15 says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, that's how fast all this is gonna take place. And so just in the time it took you to blink your eyes, the dead in Christ will rise first. We will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The dead in Christ get their resurrected bodies. I don't wanna split hairs, but we, if it happens in our lifetime, we don't get resurrected bodies, we get glorified bodies. Why? Because you gotta be dead to get a resurrected body. We're alive. We just go up, beam me up, Scotty. And man, we got a glorified body. Now, why does that happen before the tribulation? Because God says, I have not appointed my bride, the church, to wrath. And the tribulation is all about wrath. But at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus comes all the way down, he doesn't put his brakes on up in the clouds, he comes all the way down to the Mount of Olives. At that point, the Bible teaches that the Old Testament saints, thats People who died like Abraham in faith, they are risen. The tribulation saints, those who got saved and died during tribulation, they are raised. And so the resurrection of the just happens before the millennium, but then there's a thousand literal years and there's another resurrection. This is the one you don't wanna be at. But here's the thing. You know, th- th- this room was full first service, full second service, it's almost full, partially full third service. Here's what I know, this many people, there's gonna be some at the second resurrection. And it won't be because I failed in my job of preaching the truth in love, it'll be because some of them say, ah, uh, whatever. And so the resurrection of the unjust will take place after the millennial kingdom And where will they go? The Bible tells us now in verse 11. Let's find out where they go. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Where do they go? They go to the great white throne judgment. It's great because of the enormity of its size. There's so many people, sadly, who are there. It's white, scholars believe, because of purity and holiness and justice. And by the way, him who was seated on it, who's seated on this great white throne? Jesus, yes. And by the way, not the Father, Jesus the Son. You say, how do you know? Because Jesus said in John 5, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. And so there's Christ, and he's seated on this great white throne. And it says in verse 11, that from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Do you see, okay, we just read God's word. After the millennium, there's Christ, and the earth, what earth? This earth. And the sky, what sky? The sky above us flees from the presence of Christ. Everything's about to change again in your Bibles. Peter prophesied this. He said the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. You see, when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, he reverses the curse and returns this earth back to its garden of Eden beauty. But after a 1,000 years is a long time. Our nation is what, 230 something years old? A 1,000 years is a long time. So by the time, all of these people are being born with sin natures, some are choosing Christ, some aren't. And so by the time you get to the end of a 1,000 years, what's happened? Human depravity has tainted this beautiful world that Jesus is reigning over in the millennial kingdom. By the way, don't we always blow it? Our our mom and dad, Adam and Eve, blew it in the original Garden of Eden, and future human beings are gonna blow it again in the millennial kingdom. And so everything's gotta be changed, okay? What's gonna happen? The earth is gonna flee. The sky is gonna flee. And then Jesus has to create something brand new. What's that? Let's cheat. Take a sneak peek at next week's Look at chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw, what kind of heaven? Yeah. And what kind of earth? Yeah. For the first heaven and the first earth had, did what, had what happened? Passed away. And so we'll get into that next week, but let's finish this week, verses 12 through 15. Now, put your seatbelts on because it's gonna get really heavy now. Okay, can I have everybody's attention real quick? All right, we're we're, we're a Calvary Chapel church. What does that mean? That means that one of our commitments is that we prayerfully pick books of the Bible and we start in chapter one, verse one, and we go verse by verse All the way to the end, we don't skip anything. And so why in the world are we going from verse 12 to 15 when it's so heavy? Because we don't skip anything. We deal with it. What does that mean? That means you get the whole counsel of God, not jumping around in the Scriptures. Okay, and so in verse 12, look at what it says. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, plural, were opened. Then another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, plural, according to what they had done. And so the unjust at the end of the millennium are gonna stand before Christ, young and old, rich and poor, famous and obscure. And so no matter if they were young or old, no matter if they were famous, or not known, whether they were rich or poor, no matter if they were black or white, or, 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 or Latino, or, or Oriental, or no matter what their background, all these people at this great white throne have one thing in common, and that is that they chose, they made a choice in their life to reject God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why they are there, they made a choice Now ladies and gentlemen, you gotta understand, I've said this now for the, this is my third time saying this today, there are no babies at the great white throne judgment. Why? Because babies don't know their left hand from their right hand, much less right from wrong. And so all babies, everybody say all. All babies, born and unborn, When they pass, immediately go into the hands of the Savior. Why? Because Jesus Christ cared enough to come to this world and die on a cross and pay for all of our sins and rise again the third day. That's why we have that assurance. Are you thankful for that? I am. The Savior came because we can't save ourselves. But those who are old enough to choose and made the wrong choice because they love their sin more than they love Jesus. It says the book of life is opened and other books, plural, as well. Okay, what is the book of life? The book of life is that role that contains the names of those who have been what? Justified. By what? Faith. faith. How was Abraham justified? By faith. How are we justified? By faith. How is anybody in any age justified? By faith. Okay, that's the book of life. And so if you have turned from your sins and embraced Christ alone as your only hope, Savior and Lord, your name is in that book in heaven. It's there. Done deal. But if you've hardened your heart and you're running from the light, and you continue to do that, your name will not be in that book. Now there's other books, plural, that's referred to in this passage, so what are the other books? This is intriguing. It's the roles, plural, that contain the details of how everybody lived their life. Did you know God is keeping a record of everything you do in heaven? How many many of you are thankful for the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sins, right? Praise God for that. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I put your sins from you. And so, um, but here's the thing, there's a record. For the just, there's a record being written in heaven of our good works that are born out of our born again experience that are evidence of our faith in Christ. It's all being written down. And that will determine what we experience in the next age. Some will rule over five cities, some over 10. But now what we're doing here in Revelation 20, we're talking about the unjust. Everything is written down in heaven in the books. Now at the end of the chapter, we're gonna see that all these people at the great white throne judgment are cast into the lake of fire, they're damned. Why? Because they rejected Christ. They rejected the light that they had. But before they're thrown into the lake of fire, the books are opened and those details from their life are read And you say, why in the world? If they're gonna be damned, why in the world? Here's why, because how they live their life will determine the severity of their punishment. Did you know there's different degrees of punishment in the next life? Look at what Jesus said, don't believe me for my own words, Jesus said to Capernaum, and you Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to what? For if the mighty works done in you, he's talking about his miracles that he did in Capernaum. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, Capernaum, that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And so 1,900 years, B.C., you had Sodom and Gomorrah and you had a bunch of people that said no to the living God and they engaged in all kind of sexual perversion. Will they be at the great white throne judgment? Yes, according to Jesus, don't take my word, Jesus said yeah. But guess what? The citizens of Capernaum that lived in 30 A.D. are gonna be there as well. And when the books are open and all the details of all these, the evidence that comes from their lives, what they did in their lives in Sodom, and the evidence comes forth from these people's lives in Capernaum, when all that is read, Jesus says that they are gonna get the stricter judgment. They're gonna get a more severe punishment forever and ever. Why? Jesus said, because I was there and I did miracles. They had so much light. And they said, thanks, but no thanks. Like maybe some of you have when you've heard the gospel. You see, the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. And so yes, there's different degrees of punishment in hell according, again, not what I say, but what Jesus says. And now look at verse 13. And the sea, because lots of people die at sea, gave up the dead who were in it, death, those who died and were buried in the earth, and Hades, that's the spiritual realm of the unjust who die. You remember the rich man in Luke 16? Jesus said he died and immediately in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. And so Hades gave up their dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, this is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now here's what you need to know before anybody gets mad at God. Second Peter chapter three verse nine says this, the Lord is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does that mean? That means that you and I have a God of love, but you also need to know that he's a God of justice. And sin has to be paid for. And so you, do you know what this God of love did? He sent his one and only son to come down here to earth to pay for your sins and mine. That's how much he loves you. And he rose again the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father, victorious over sin and death. God has done everything he can do but he will not force his will on anyone. And that's why C.S. Lewis, in closing, says this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All who are in hell do what? Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. Why do people run from the light of the world, Jesus Christ? Because John 3.19 says, men love darkness more than the light. And so here's here's my question for you. Have you come to Jesus? You say, I grew up in the church. No, 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 you misunderstood me. Have you personally come to Jesus, a sinner in need, of a sal- uh, in need of salvation? There's no other way, ladies and gentlemen. You say, well, what about Islam? Let me tell you something about Islam. Number one, they reject Jesus died on the cross. That is their theological position as a religion. They say he never died on a cross. Therefore, they reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they reject that he is God's eternal son. What does that tell us? That's a false religion. That's damning souls to hell. What about any other religion? How do you know your religion is right? Because all the other religious leaders that ever lived, you can go to their grave right now, and guess what? There's a sack of bones in those graves. But our Savior, his tomb is empty. He's alive. He proved that He's the only way. And so do you wanna accept Jesus? That's the question. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I would love to lead you right now to Christ. Now here's what I love about third service. Um, we never have time to do this in our first and second service. but third service, we make the time And so if you're here today and you have not given your life to Christ and you're not sure where you're going when you die, I wanna ask everybody to bow your heads right now. Here's what I wanna do, I wanna lead you to go to Christ. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that I don't want you to repeat like it's some kind of poem. I wanna lead you in a prayer where it's you talking to Jesus. And in the prayer, here's what you're gonna do. You're simply, the best way you know how, gonna turn from your sins. You're gonna admit that the penalty of sin is death. And you're gonna call on the risen Lord Jesus Christ to save you and be your Lord. So if you wanna do that, between you and Jesus, just say this from your heart to His. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for my sins. I know the penalty of sin is death, but I believe you came and died. You died on the cross for me, and you paid for my sins. I believe you rose again the third day. And right now I open my heart. And I choose you. Come be my Savior and forgive me. Come be my Lord and lead me. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you're here today and you just opened your heart up and you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold, okay? The Bible says that whoever believes in him is not ashamed. Okay, so if Christ Hung half naked on a cross and was not embarrassed to do that for you and me, we should not be ever embarrassed to publicly acknowledge Him as Lord. So if you just prayed and received Christ as your Savior or if you just recommitted your life to Christ, I'm gonna ask you just for five seconds, just stand up wherever you are. We're gonna put our hands together and we're gonna thank God for you. Just stand, where, whoever you are, just stand to your feet. God bless you and you and you in the back. God bless you, just stand, just stand on your feet, you guys over here. Church, let's really encourage these people. This takes a lot of guts, God bless you, ma'am. <laughs> Sir, God bless you, I see that, awesome. God bless you guys, God bless you guys. You guys can be seated, you guys can be seated. I know it's an emotional thing to meet Jesus Christ, but, but here's what you need to know. As Aaron quoted earlier, he promises this, now that you've come to Him, He said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Amen. He'll be with you through thick and thin. He'll be with you thick, through thick and thin, storms and sunny days, good times and bad times. He'll stick with you. And so here's how, here's how we're gonna end the service. Um, in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna close in prayer. Um, before that, I'm gonna ask prayer partners to come on, make your way up right now, please. Um, the prayer partners are here for anybody who has any, any prayer need at all, um, you can come and be ministered to. We wanna encourage you, we wanna pray for you. And then those of you who received Christ just now, um, Pastor Bob's got some free Bibles for you. Raise your hand, Pastor Bob, right over here. It's free for the taking, it's a great little study Bible and some other information. And so we wanna give that as our gift to you for those of you who just came to Christ. And so as everyone's leaving, those of you who need prayer can come up to the prayer partners. Those of you who accepted Christ, please see Pastor Bob to get your free Bible. And then those of you who committed your life to Christ, please, please hear this. Start today before you go to bed in the book of John. Read that first chapter and then talk to Jesus just like you would talk to your best friend. Tomorrow, chapter two. Next day, chapter, get in his presence. Get to know him. And he'll be the best friend you've ever had. So let's all stand for prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for those, Lord, who just gave their lives to you. As their church family, we pray over them now. We ask that you put a hedge of protection around them. Protect them, Lord, from fallen angels and demons that would try to interfere hinder them or stop them from following you help them to know greater is he that is in them now than he that is in the world and help them to become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ Father I pray for anyone else here that maybe wanted to stand but didn't wanted to pray but for whatever reason didn't God, I pray that their head would not hit the pillow tonight before they give their lives to you, Jesus. Thank you for your love and your mercy and grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.